and welcome to Let's Farmanize. I'm Mickey Ferguson. I'm Shane Gerritsen. And I'm Cal Vandergrift. And today we're going to talk about homeopathic medicines and their impact on the modern world. All that and just a little bit more on Let's Farmanize. substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The views and opinions expressed within are those of the authors and speakers themselves and do not necessarily represent any affiliated institution or third party. So before we dive in, I do want to gauge your understanding of homeopathic medicine. We haven't learned about homeopathic remedies in our first year of pharmacy school, and it doesn't seem like it'll fit into the next year's curriculum, and I don't think it'll make an appearance in our third year either. It's definitely a very real aspect of daily life in the pharmacy. Patients and customers make frequent stops at the consultation window with a homeopathic product in hand that they've heard from their friend Works Wonders. Keep an eye out around flu season. You'll undoubtedly have lots of folks asking about Ocelinococcum, one of the more well-known homeopathic remedies. So starting with you, Mickey, tell me what you know about homeopathic medicine. At the risk of sounding extremely biased, all I've heard is that they're complete nonsense. That's good. What do you think? I don't know too much about it. The only thing that I can pinpoint in my head, and this might not even be right, is just what we learned a little bit about Eastern medications, you know, um, not necessarily tablet or capsule form, but just like random stuff, uh, random plants that you can you can put in teas and stuff like that that might help you with a sore throat or something like that. Right. That's about my extent. Okay, so kind of like herbal stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot okay. of herbal stuff. So I'm glad that you have that perspective because homeopathic remedies are distinctly different from herbal remedies. Oh. Lots of people conflate the two, including myself, and that was one of my early misconceptions about homeopathy. Herbal medicine is the use of medicinal plants, and it's been studied for centuries and is still omnipresent and highly effective in many cases today. We've talked about herbal medicine. Do you remember the presentations we gave like two weeks before a COVID shutdown school? Yeah. We oh, did the herbal, yeah. the herbal stuff. Yeah. Well, all those were, were pretty good stuff. They, they, have a, they have effective treatments. They've been studied. They do things in the body, unlike what we're going to talk about. So things like turmeric have great anti-inflammatory properties and can improve circulation. Cinnamon lowers blood sugar levels and can improve sensitivity to insulin. You talked about that was your project. Marginally. Ginseng can... Cinnamon, it's, it's pretty darn good. We can talk about that some other yeah, time. Yeah, let's talk I'm, about it. I'm interested. I think it's, I think it's got a really good potential. Um, obviously not better than, than uh, blood sugar lowering medications, but still has a really good potential. Ginseng can boost energy, decrease cholesterol, and tastes delicious. Do you remember those ginseng candies they that I brought to class? not delicious. I have more. Do you want some? <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. I think you, my wife threw them away. I, I, won, um, I won your contest, remember, to you, give away the ginseng, and, and I rid of them. did not want that. Yeah. Do you, do you have those candies? I thought they were good. I don't think I... Oh, no, I did taste them. Mm, they tasted disgusting. like dirty root beer. Like, if you like licorice, maybe. Yeah, I like it. If I you like it. eating dirt, you can <laughs> eat some ginseng. If you like root beer that's brewed from just, like, onion weed. I don't know. I liked it. <laughs> I have a quick question. Do you, yeah. So does this... Uh, I hate if you're going to talk about it, but does this count towards, like, all the things that you can get OTC-wise, like, uh, like, like St. John's wort and stuff like that? That's herbal. Yeah. That's, that's an herbal medicine. Yeah, yeah. That, and that, that actually does things. That does things. Mm-hmm. It's got potential for, for depression and anxiety. Yeah. Or it's I, like a sip inducer. Or... It is also, it has some, some sip interactions. There's numerous studies on herbal medicine, and it would behoove any pharmacist to familiarize themselves with the applications of these really versatile, underappreciated herbs. What sets homeopathy apart from typical herbal remedies are the two main principles that govern the society of homeopathic medicine. The first principle, the main foundation for homeopathy, is like cures like. 
Similia similibus corentur. That's Latin. This concept is based on the dubious notion that things that elicit certain physiological responses, such as fever or vomiting, can, in small doses, treat or prevent these symptoms. The second main principle is the principle of the minimum dose. The smaller the dose and the more dilute the product, the more potent it is. This is a lengthy and repetitive process involving the repetition of dilution and vigorous shaking of the suspension called succussion. That's the actual agitation of the suspension. This overall process is called potentization, and the herbs are diluted in either alcohol or distilled water. This process of dilution isn't totally unfamiliar to us. We see things like 1% solution or creams, wherein the active ingredient makes up a small percentage, like triamcinolone, for example. It's a potent corticosteroid for eczema or dermatitis, etc. It's commonly prescribed and ranges from 0.025% to 0.5%. Its lowest percentage, 0.025%, comes down to a ratio of one part in 4,000. The 0.5% is one part in 200, so significantly more potent. When you first read these numbers, 0.025 and 0.5, it might not seem like a big difference, but the higher strength is 20 times more potent. Like we said earlier, herbal remedies have been around for centuries. The concept of like cures like has also been around for a long time. It came about around 400 BC and was popularized by someone you may have heard of, Hippocrates. You know this guy. He's widely regarded as the father of medicine, and he came up with a lot of great ideas except for this one. This theory was further explored by Christian Friedrich Samuel Hahnemann. Living in Germany in the late 1700s, Hahnemann was dissatisfied with the state of medicine and frowned upon treatments like bloodletting, which, as we've discussed before on the show, has been controversial for a long time, and uh, Hahnemann was on the right side of history, at least in regard to this dichotomy, but that's about it. Hahnemann's foray into homeopathy really began in 1795, when he was taking doses of chinchona for no reason, like you do, Cinchona, a flowering plant of the matter family, is well known as being the medicinal source of quinine. Does that sound familiar? Yep. Mm -hmm. It's an anti-malarial. I thought <clears throat> cinchona was a tree. It is. It's bark. Oh, okay. So he, we get it from the bark. Yeah. But it's a flowering tree. You, you, like, what do you do? You grind it up and you distill it and then you concentrate the distillate. And so he was just eating the flowers of it, though. I he think wasn't... he was eating the bark. Okay. Yeah. It's not like he had malaria. It was just like... Nah, he was just... Getting lit on chinchona. Chinchona. That was so bad. That was really good. He did the whole, uh, this is how chinchona. we do it. Yeah. Italy so, thing, too. Ezio. Oh, man. Assassin's Creed. I'm excited for the next Assassin's Creed game. Anyway, I, mm -hmm. so this me. was actually about 100 years before it was discovered that mosquitoes were the transmission vector for malaria. He noticed that he developed a mild fever, much like malaria, however, none of the other symptoms of malaria, like the flu-like illness, chills, body ache, nausea, vomiting, and whatnot. Chinchona has actually been used at this point for over 150 years to treat malaria because, as we know, quinine is a very effective antiparasitic. It's unclear what spurred the discovery of chinchona's benefit for malaria by the indigenous people of the Andes, as oral history tends to find itself a collateral damage among the ashes of genocide. Way to go, Cortez et Alia. So, that was poetic right there. That was so good. Thought so? Thanks. <laughs> so Hahnemann takes quinine and develops this mild fever because quinine has such effects. 
if you just take unregulated amounts of it. And instead of attributing the fever to the side effect profile and the medicinal benefits to the antiparasitic properties of quinine, he melds the two and believes that this is clearly indicative of the like-cures-like philosophy. Hahnemann, I think I've pronounced his name differently each time that I've said it. I don't know how to pronounce it. Hahnemann sounds how it, right. How is it spelled? H-A-H-N-E-M-A-N-N. Is it, is it, I think it's Hahnemann. He, he was German, right? Yes. It's Hahnemann. Hahnemann. He went on to experiment on countless healthy individuals using herbs and chemicals to catalog homeopathic remedies based on this principle. This is where the second principle of homeopathy comes in, the minimum dose theory. Hahnemann postulated that the smaller the dose, the more potent the response would be in the patient. Once you start diluting things, the numbers get pretty wild very quickly. Remember earlier when we were discussing the low-dose trimcinolone being a 1 in 4,000 ratio? Hahnemann's methods at the time commonly consisted of four dilutions of one part in 100. Let's say we're working with milliliters. If you dilute something this way, numbers get really big. The first dilution isn't so crazy. One milliliter of pure quinine in 100 milliliters of water, that's fine. Pretty potent, actually. Mm -hmm. The next step would be to take one milliliter sample from the concoction that you just made and dilute it again, 1 to 100. The overall ratio of the original component, quinine to water, is now 1 in 10,000. Wait, I'm not done. Dilute it again. Now you have a ratio of 1 to 1 million. Dilute it one more time. Now you have a ratio of one part quinine to 100 million parts water. If this were triamcinolone, you'd need about seven gallons of it to have the same effect. Obviously, this garnered some criticism, including some sass from physician and poet Oliver Wendell Holmes, who stated that this process would, re would require the waters of 10,000 Adriatic seas. Hahnemann claims that the vigorous shaking or succussion imbues the diluent with the dematerialized spiritual force of the active ingredient, which persists in the suspension as a memory of what was once there. It's poetic, but it, it sounds right. Like, that constant shaking, I mean, you'd think that would denaturize the, the compound. What? That, well, that's what he's talking about, right? If you're shaking it so much... Yeah, you're shaking it... It's going to break down the compound. I think that's what he's saying. He's saying that the water is going to remember what was in it. Yeah. A dematerialized spiritual force. Like, the quinine goes away, and, like, the memory of the quinine in the water is what's curing you. Mm. We're gonna, it's going to get bigger. I don't know. I don't We're going to keep going. I don't believe it. Don't think, believe what? I think he was thinking what I was thinking. Okay. Okay. I, he was thinking more scientifically than Hahnemann. Hahnemann also claims the vaccine theory, which came about in 1796 with Edward Jenner's smallpox vaccine, also serves to support the like-cures-like theory, although we know this works for entirely different reasons involving the complexity of the immune system. Hahnemann published the Bible of Homeopathy, titled The Organon of the Healing Art, in 1810, and I couldn't find the original document, but I did find an absolutely scathing review published in 1833 by Dr. Samuel Stratton, and I will read you an excerpt now. It is difficult to imagine how a physician in the 19th century could gravely enunciate such a series of absurdities, errors, and downright falsities as the basis of a doctrine that was to overturn all former observation, experiment, and experience. That homeopathy will ever take root in this country, we may safely venture to deny, except as a branch of trade to make money among our wise aristocracy, the patrons of St. John Long and his tribe. That's St. John Long as a reference to an Irish doctor who claimed he could cure tuberculosis, was tried for manslaughter of his patients, and then died of tuberculosis. Is that St. John's wart? Different St. John Long. Dang. No, it, but that's some grade A irony that it, he died of TB. It was really funny. It was funny. Yeah. Either, either TB or a horse riding accident. It was one of the two. Hmm. 
This I didn't use a real source for. I just used Wikipedia. Sorry, but still, I feel like I feel like our podcast is essentially one big Wikipedia app. Like, uh, maybe right. your segments. You don't use actual sources. No, I do. I just, yeah, you got real why would you say that? The, the paraphrasing. No, no. Oh, we are Wikipedia. I understand. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Okay, yeah, I know. We're like a spicy Wikipedia. Thing. We're like a spicy Wikipedia. That's yeah. exactly what we are. Okay. One more quick thing from the review of the Organon itself. Dr. Stratton calls it, this is my favorite part, such a tiresome tissue or jumble of unintelligible gibberish, erroneous reasoning, and transcendental balderdash. What he just said is unintelligible gibberish. Are you kidding me? This guy's a beautiful, beautiful this writer. This guy is some great writing. Dr. Samuel Stratton. Despite the flaws in the pseudoscience, homeopathy caught on and became a really popular alternative medicine, and Hahnemann died a very wealthy man in Paris at the age of 88. The popularity of homeopathy has seen a steady climb in the United States since the 1900s, but has received a boon in attention over the past few decades, with their prevalence being commonplace and the products themselves finding their homes among the shelves of major retailers alongside real medicine like Tylenol and Benadryl. Let's talk a little bit about modern homeopathic products and the application of the second principle of homeopathy, that is the smallest dose. The first product I want to discuss that was actually recommended to someone I know by a small town pharmacist recently for poison ivy is called PRID. PRID actually contains eight active ingredients. Among the, the eight are four that might sound familiar, arnica, echinacea, ichthamol, and sulfur. Instead of measurements in milligrams, because Hahnemann had never heard of those, homeopathic potency is measured in a number followed by either the letter X or C. To reduce confusion, we're only going to use the X scale, since they're actually a little bit different. 1X means it's a ratio of 1 to 10. 2X is a ratio of 1 to 100. Keep in mind, the higher the dilution, the greater the potency, or so the belief goes. Let's hone in on some of the ingredients in Prid, which looks like a red can of hair gel, like a can of Dapper Dan. Have you guys seen Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah they I'm look a Dapper like, Dan, man. Yeah, they look like a little, little can of Dapper Ooh. Dan. The first ingredient in Prid is Arnica, which comes in at a potency of 3X. That means it's been diluted 1 to 10 three times, making it a ratio of 1 to 1,000. Okay, that's not really that crazy. That's a concentration of 0.1%. Lots of drugs come in a 0.1% concentration, like uh, adapalene, cyclosporin, fluosinonide. If arnica had any kind of efficacy or therapeutic benefit, there's a potential for it to exert its benefit even at this low concentration. However, there's no evidence supporting that arnica can actually do anything beneficial, especially at an almost negligible concentration. Some of the other ingredients should have sounded familiar to you, so I'm just going to give you a pop quiz. Which of the ingredients I mentioned has proven benefits for immune health? Arnica, echinacea, ichthamol, or sulfur? Health. For immune health. Arnica, echinacea, ichthamol, or sulfur. It was so sad because I was like, echinacea, I, is that immune health? I couldn't figure it out. So I was going to say it's not that one. And is it proven? I guess it's immune echinacea. Health. Yeah, it's echinacea. Okay. Very good. Echinacea. <laughs> it's marketed by a number of companies and retailers. For example, Spring Valley, a Walmart brand, sells a 75-count bottle of 900-milligram echinacea for about $5. It's super cheap. Echinacea is also at the 3x potency, meaning it's at a ratio of 1 to 1,000. In order to achieve the therapeutic benefit of a single 900 milligram capsule of echinacea, you'd have to use 50 18 gram cans of Prid. So that's 3x, which is actually not that common of a potency. What you're more likely to see is 12x. Let's talk about Highland's Young Adult Moon. This product will help you go with the flow naturally. Can you guess what it's for? What? Yo! Come in! Yo. We just got a super Bro, special guest. What's special happening? Special guest. Special guest just walked in. We've got our good friend Michael here. How are you doing? So, do you want to do you want to sit in for the rest of the uh you missed all of the uh Hold, you missed like we, 15 minutes. Can we fi- Why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, uh yeah. Um, trying to see if the kiosks were open. I wish I, I I'm, I'm in dying for some muffins. 
Uh, but no, my, my house is AC out, so I'm here. Jeez. Are you serious? Yeah, so AC out during the summer is the worst. Yeah, that's yeah. awful. Okay. Dude. Do you want to hang around and listen yeah. to the episode? Why not? All right, so you've missed about all of it, but I'm talking about homeopathic medicine. And now, a word from our sponsor. start over at what we just missed up. So let's talk about Highland's Young Adult Moon. This product will help you go with the flow naturally. Can you guess what it's for? The name and the description? Is it, is it help you to pee? Is it vaginal Young dryness? Adult Moon. Young Adult Moon. Is it vaginal dryness? <laughs> is it? It's menstrual cramps. Oh, you were okay. really close. Yeah, you're you're kind of close. So help you go with the flow? Yeah, I mean. Okay. It's a homeopathic remedy for menstrual cramps, and it's got 10 active ingredients. Let's look at chamomile, because it's in therapeutic doses like in chamomile tea, chamomile can cause drowsiness because it binds to GABA receptors. We know that this is something that does something. It actually works for something. It's an herbal remedy with some known health benefits. It's got some other possible benefits like treatment for nausea, heartburn, and anxiety too. Typical doses of chamomile in tea or capsules is between around 200 to 1600 milligrams daily. The chamomile in young adult moon is at a potency of 12x which means it's been diluted at a ratio of 1 to 10 12 times. That's a ratio of 1 to 1 trillion, 12 zeros. Even if you're just looking at the, for the low dose of chamomile you get from a small cup of tea, let's say 250 milligrams, if the tea were diluted at this 12x potency, you'd need to drink 15 trillion gallons of tea. That's one big Jeez. kettle. Can never taste just, it either. I just have to throw in chamomile. Yeah. Chamomile. It's Thank chamomile. You. Thank you. Whatever. Okay, easy, easy yank. so 15 okay. trillion gallons of tea, that's the approximate volume of Lake Ponderay, the largest lake in Idaho, or all of the rainfall on Texas in Hurricane Hardy. Strap in because things are about to get bigger. Another popular product, which actually started my interest in the topic, is a Highlands Earache Drops, a remedy for cold and flu, swimmer's ear, and seasonal allergy. This is at a ratio of 60x. This involves diluting a 1 to 10 ratio 60 times. 3x is 1 in 1,000. 12x is 1 in 1 trillion. Can you tell me what you think 60x is going to be? Uh, I can't do exponents in my head. To the 10th? It's 60 zeros. So it's, it's a ratio. It's, it's, 10 to the, it's 10 to the 60th power diluted. Yeah. yeah. It's a ratio of 1 to 1 novem decillion. That's getting really That's, close to like like Google. We'll get to Google. Oh, it's, uh, there's, there's a Google. There's, there's, okay. There might be a Google. So that's a digit followed by 60 zeros. The main ingredient in this product is belladonna, which we've talked about a few times before on the show. Can you tell me what three drugs are derived from belladonna? Uh, Pop quiz. It's, it's cheating for me. No, I'm, go for it. Atropine, hyoscyamine, and scopolamine. Bing. Good job. Okay. How likely are you to find a single molecule of the original substance in a 10 milliliter bottle of eardrops diluted to one part per novembicillion? Zero. Yep, very good. <laughs> yeah, I can do that math in my head. So, I what, I, so molecule. what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how many molecules are in a gallon of water. So the density of water is one gram per centimeter cubed. So in one gallon of water, about 3.785 liters or 3,785 cubic centimeters, mm -hmm. the mass of the water is 3,785 grams. One mole of 6.02 times 10 to the 23 molecules of water has the mass in grams equal to the molecular weight or 18 grams per mole. So 3,785 grams corresponds to about 1.265 times 10 to the 26 molecules of water. If you take one novembicillion and divide that, by 1.265 times 10 to the 26th. To determine how many gallons of water would constitute one novembicillion molecules, 
you get 7.901 times 10 to the 33. That's a little less than eight decillion. So eight decillion gallons to get a single molecule of belladonna. But eight decillion, that's meaningless. Our tiny human brains have no frame of reference to even begin to understand numbers that large. Let's break it down into smaller terms. The sun is roughly 1.4 quintillion cubic kilometers, about a million times more volume than the entire earth. That's about 372 octillion gallons, and octillion has 27 zeros. You could fit the volume of the sun, 372 octillion gallons, into the volume of eardrops 21,326 times. All that for one molecule of belladonna. Let's talk about a classic, and this is the last one. Oscillinococcum, the first thing I mentioned. It's a good one. It's at a potency of 400x. That's a lot. I don't think there's that many that's like molecules in the universe. We'll get there. two Googleplexes. So that's 1 to 10 ratio repeated 400 times. That's a ratio of 1 to sendotrigantillion. I don't know if that's a real word because I found it in a random forum. What did you so, just say to me? Sendotrigantillion. That's not a thing. It might be fake. That's too many numbers. That's it might not be a real word. That's why I said it might not be a real well, word. Well, numbers are basically made up when you get down to it. That's true. Either way, it was the only source I could find. Either way, it's big. The active ingredient in Ocelinococcum is Anis Barbariae Hepatis et Cordis Extractum, which for our non-Latin-speaking listeners, I know there's a few of you out there, is the extract from the heart and liver of a wild duck and has no evidence of being able to treat anything. Let's jump back to that scale. One part in Sendotrigantillion, or 10 to the power of 400. If you wanted a molecule of duck soup diluted this way, how much broth do you need? A lot of broth. 10 to the power of 400 molecules of broth. Do you know what has 10 to the 400 molecules? Nothing in this universe. Very good, nothing. Our observable universe, which spans 93 billion light years, is estimated to contain around 10 to the power of 80 atoms, assuming most of the atoms are hydrogen, which is true. Hydrogen makes up about 74% of the universe. 10 to the power of 400 is so inexplicably large, I can't even compare it to the universe, let alone our sun. It would be 10 to the power of 320 times larger than the known universe. A single duck could provide the entire world with enough oscillinococcum for each of its 7.8 billion people have a trillion doses every second starting from the Big Bang 13.7 billion years ago until the heat death of the universe in about a Google years from now. That's a digit followed by 100 zeros. Even the, even the universe is like, nah bro, that's too many. <laughs> that's insane. So, obviously they don't actually use this much purified water or alcohol for each preparation. That would be insane. It wouldn't be possible. One method they use now is called the Korsakovian method wherein they create a suspension that's one part in 100. That's the first step. Then they drain the suspension completely. They dump it all out and they assume that 1% of the original solution remains adhering to the sides of the container. Then without washing it, they'll fill it back up again with purified water or alcohol, thus preparing a second dilution. Does that make sense? It's, it's a dumb concept. I mean, it, it it, yeah, it's dumb, but I, I'm following the process. Okay, so they can repeat this as many times as necessary, each time creating a new dilution and adjusting the ratio by a factor of 100. As you can imagine, there's a great deal of controversy surrounding homeopathic medicine, whether there's any truth to their claims of efficacy. This controversy isn't helped by the fact that homeopathic drug companies often don't regulate what's going on in their product. There's been a litany of alerts from the FDA regarding homeopathic remedies and issues like eye drops made in non-sterile conditions, microbial contamination in water-based medicines, undeclared penicillin. How you're diluting something to a trillionth of a fraction and detectable amounts of penicillin get their way into it, I have no idea. And the worst one, Highland's teething tablets. FDA released a statement in 2017 regarding a recall of homeopathic teething tablets, 
with dangerous levels of belladonna and caffeine. FDA conducted tests of various samples of the teething tablets and found levels of scopolamine, which may sound familiar to our listeners as a so-called truth serum, which is a belladonna alkaloid as high as 390 nanograms and levels of atropine as high as 1100 nanograms. These products are at a 12x potency. So the ratio of belladonna and its alkaloids to the inactive ingredients should be one to one trillion. That's about 17 million times more atropine than there should be. These unregulated and dangerous tablets resulted in the deaths of 10 infants and injured many more. Highlands claims that the FDA's allegations are unsubstantiated. I'll let you be the judge of that. Before I tell you what I think about homeopathic products, I'd really like to hear your opinions on the matter because I do think that it's got some debatability to the topic, which isn't always the case in regards to medication, but because there are cases where the placebo effect can produce a major benefit to the patient. The placebo effect has been studied since the 40s, and it's been proven that time and time again, a patient's perception can influence the outcome of their treatment. Migraines, joint pain, depression, arthritis, even high blood pressure can be affected by the placebo effect. With that knowledge, I do want to hear what your opinions are just from hearing what we've had now. And I don't know what your experiences are with homeopathic medicine in your rotations, but start with you, Mickey. What do, what do you think about homeopathic remedies? So I think the concept that, you know, sensible people would have was like, oh, it's a placebo. You just let them have it. I'm like, okay, well, you have to be careful about how you do that. Like Shane said, if you have uh, non-sterile eye drops is a big no-no that stood out to me immediately. Because even if you put nothing in them, you can still have bacterial growth in them. I think a better way to do a placebo is not to necessarily do something oral or something ocular. Maybe just be like, hey, rub this on your skin every day. Or here's a sticker, leave it on for the day. Mm-hmm. That's a way safer way to do a placebo because there's no possible way for you to mess that up. Yeah. If you do something oral, well, what if it gets contaminated with outside stuff? Now you just ingested stuff. What if it's ocular? Then you've just messed up your eyes. If it's otic, then you just messed up your ears. There's just better ways to do placebo than with homeopathic medicine. See, the one thing that stood out to me was it, it's good to treat things that are kind of, not benign, but less severe than other potential conditions or whatever. Uh, the swimmer's ear one was interesting to me mm-hmm. because swimmer's ear products really isn't all that much. Uh, it is, uh, I can't even tell you active ingredients. I'd imagine it's nothing more than probably alcohol that's and, actually exactly and right. Saltwater. The non-homeopathic remedy for swimmer's ear over-the-counter, I think it's called swimmer's ear, is mm-hmm. just alcohol. Yeah, it's all it is. So, like, those things, I, I don't see any issue with that. That's fine. If it, it's proven to work, so what's what's the issue? But if when it comes to more severe things, I'd be a little bit more hesitant to, to try any of these, these things, especially things that can mess with your system. Like, you know, the thing that they use atropine for being the dilation of your eyes. I mean, that can cause... That can cause blindness. I'd be worried about that. Yeah. One more thing I wanted to add. I don't know. It's probably not homeopathic. um, But have you all seen the movie Dallas Buyers Club? No. Matthew McConaughey, Jared Leto. Heard of it. Heard of it? Okay. So that's about Matthew McConaughey's character. He gets AIDS. And they started, this is like um, late 80s when they were trying all kinds of stuff. And the drug was called Retrovir. It's AZT. And AZT was not good for AIDS patients. Like, it was it was so bad. So what Matthew McConaughey did, he started, like, this thing where it was almost like, it was drug trafficking. But he went down into Mexico and got this drug called Peptide T that was, for him personally, was way more efficacious than AZT ever was. Mm-hmm. And I just tried, I'm curious to know what Peptide T is specifically. But hmm. this whole segment just reminded me of that movie. Could you find any source on it? That doesn't sound like a drug it's, that's familiar to me at all. It's, I don't know if that's what it was called in the movie for, I don't know, any 
I think movies can change drug names all the time, but I peptide T was the name of it. And yeah, peptide T is an HIV entry inhibitor discovered in 1986, um, but it wasn't approved by the FDA for a, a good while, for a while, and that's why he had to go and, okay. and get it. Interesting. Okay, kind of like cells entry. Um, when you were saying tea, I was thinking of like tea in a kettle. Yeah, I thought you were saying that yeah. as one word, so it didn't click. It's like, oh, he's saying peptide tea. So we were each thinking something totally different. Michael, so, would you like to introduce yourself first? Uh, of course. So I'm Michael Wynn. Um, so uh, as you know, I asked about my own opinion on the homeopathic remedies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I personally don't believe most of these uh, solutions at all for actual medical purposes. Like there are ongoing studies that into some of these products that might potentially hold be- beneficial, but there's no, 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 there's no published proven science behind all, any of these. Yeah, that's true. So, despite the potential benefits of placebo effect and the true efficacy of certain homeopathic ingredients in normal doses like echinacea and chamomile, chamomile, chamomile. There's no evidence supporting the claims made by major homeopathic companies like Highlands and Boyeron, and I think they're predatory companies taking advantage of people's inexperience with their products, and they're creating a dangerous distraction when certain cases require actual medical intervention like infections, the flu, and asthma. They're often more expensive than traditional medicine, products that actually do something, and their lack of regulation has proven dangerous and resulted in deaths. This is a dark note to end on, I know, but I think as future pharmacists, we do have a responsibility to educate patients when we can and provide proper counsel and end the propagation of phony science. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter to keep up with our episodes and content. And special thanks to Kelly Kerr for making our music.